0: Episode Of Shank Funk now. And we're slowly closing in on uh, Word Funks. I-, I don't remember. I think they got close to 250, but I dropped off around 220 something. Um, but, y- yep, no, it- it's just me again. Probably. I don't know. Um, I'm recording this on the 25th of September. But the episode doesn't release for a week, and I know I'm going to have to record another bit next week anyway, because Venom 2 uh, is coming out, and I'm going to be seeing it before then, so I will be able to record. And I guess give brief thoughts. I could give more thoughts if Brent's around, but I I don't know that I want to blow all of that. Although, I'm recording this one now, because there's already so much to talk about that, uh... Yeah, I feel like I need to get this all out now while it's fresh before even more stuff happens. And and part of that is because, yeah, I recorded the last episode two weeks ago from now. Or, yeah, ago, yeah. Um, so, it feels like it's the right time to record because it has been two weeks. But I recorded it a week early that time, so everything's a little thrown off uh, yeah, but anyway, okay, let's see, where do I start, so, um, I guess, I don't know, we can get Star Wars Visions out of the way right away, I mean, I'm sure when Brent is back on, we're gonna talk about it again, because he's the weird anime guy, and I am not, um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know, when, when I first started watching, I mean, Like, I've probably said in the past, I'm not really an anime person. Like, my favorite anime is One Punch Man because it makes fun of the tropes of anime that I just generally don't like. You know, a lot of just the weird, like, maybe if I was more into Japanese culture, I would understand why they put so much emphasis on the things they do. You know, people screaming about the importance of bonds, and, uh, like, I, I don't know, like, there's things that just don't translate well about Japanese ideology, I guess, that even when, you know, like, I feel like they just really need to localize dialogue better than they do, um, you know that they translate it in a way that is technically correct and makes sense, but it sounds like an alien talking every time I hear it because it—it's just like what the fuck are you talking about? Um, but but anyway, so visions. Um, I liked about half the episodes. I'd say pretty evenly. There are nine episodes, and I liked about four and a half of them. So yeah, I liked about half. Uh, but at least you know I was bracing because. Like every article I've seen talking about the show is like visions is you know the future of Star Wars we need more Star Wars like this this is so much more interesting than anything they've done you know in any of the stuff I mean if you're talking about the Disney era movies debatable maybe I I will still uh, stand up for Force Awakens being a good movie I mean it it plays it safe but it does what you want a Star Wars movie to do um but i mean I, I don't think visions is the shining example that the people writing articles on the internet seem to i mean i think they're just more into anime than i am um so i was bracing you know when i started watching the show i mean the the good stuff doesn't start until episode 5 so i got a couple episodes in and i'm like i'm i'm going to hate this Like, I'm gonna hate this, and it's gonna be like Last Jedi, where I end up just, you know, listening to conversations of people gushing about how awesome this show is, and how it's, you know, like, the perfect Star Wars, and it's so much better than everything else, and just saying that I don't agree with you at all, but debating it is exhausting. But... I will say, what I've seen so far is most the consensus among people who aren't internet writers, uh, who are you know trying to get clicks, I guess, and so it has to be either the best thing ever or the worst thing ever. So they you know they're settling on the best thing ever as the judgment for Star Wars Visions. Just general people, at least around the Dice Funk Discord or Funky Shack, Shaky Funk, uh, whatever whatever this community is now, Um, the people around there, the consensus seems to be very similar to what I thought as I was watching the show, which is surprising, because I've just gotten so used to, you know, like like Rise of Skywalker, we all agreed, was universally bad. Uh, You know, that's not really a question, you know, if you like the movie, it's because you just don't expect much of anything out of Star Wars, frankly. I am. Um, I'm sorry if that is uh, rude to say to anyone who you're know, one of the few listeners I've left. If you really, really liked Rise of Skywalker, although I mean, at this point, why would you still be listening? You know, the Ray being all the Jedi uh, is, uh, you know, a, a punchline. It's you know one of our many punchlines that we've stolen from. Movies and things that we thought were funny, um, because it's just so ridiculous. Like that that script was just. I mean, clearly, you know, they they had to cobble it together very fast to try to appease the people who are upset by Last Jedi, and they you know just did a terrible job of that. You know, and I I recommend any time of Skywalker comes up in conversation, there is a comic that um uh, his name Andrew Weingarner, um, W i n e g a r n e r. Uh, just Google that and Duel of the Fates. Uh, which it's so the the script, the Colin Trevorrow script for what episode nine was going to be before it became Rise of Skywalker, which was clearly written as a response to the criticisms of Last Jedi. Um, Duel of the Fates. You know the the original version of the story. It's not an amazing movie, but it's a much better movie than the one that we got. You know, it's one that actually honors, like, the decisions and direction made in Last Jedi, but also carries the story forward in a way that I felt Last Jedi didn't, you know, Last Jedi felt like it was, you know, just a regression and complication on the things that were set up in the first one. But, I mean, that arguably that's what the second movie's supposed to do and so, and the third movie is supposed to bring it all together, and Duel of the Fates did a much better job of doing that. It, uh, gave Finn a character arc, you know, letting him lead a, you know, rebellion against the First Order while recruiting fellow, you know, stormtroopers who are, you know, ready to get out of the First Order, you know, leading that rebellion on Coruscant, um, because the First Order's moving into Coruscant. I think I've Talked about this script before on a past episode. It, it's really good. If you haven't read it, go read it. it. It's in comic form. It's great. The whole thing is, you know, written out as a comic. I, last I checked, he's the the artist is still in the process of doing it all in color, but your read's fine in black and white. Um, I, I don't remember how I got that far off topic, uh, but yeah, visions. So to so visions. Thankfully, seems like. The consensus, at least around the Discord, is the same, that I felt, more or less. And what I've seen even, like, I mean another Discord for um, the Star Wars trading card game. You know, the, the Wizards of the Coast uh, discontinued game. Um, and on that one, I've seen a couple people posting their lists, and they are also generally of the same opinion in terms of, you know, which episodes are the good ones, except that it seems like everyone on there who started talking about it really hates the, um, Lop and Ocho, I think was the name, the the one with the bunny girl. They hate it because she's a furry. Uh, I thought I would hate it because she's a furry, and I was surprised that I didn't. You know, like, aside from it being, you know, a cute furry, you know, rabbit with titties and, uh, you know, a lot of exposed leg. Um, you know, aside from that kind of pandering design, it's, you know, a decent Star Wars story. Like, it, it feels like, uh, you know... I, I think that there was just... it's. It's hard to really put my finger on what makes something feel like Star Wars and something else not feel like Star Wars, but the ones that felt like Star Wars are the ones that I liked, and the ones that didn't are the ones that I didn't. For the most part, I think. Because, um, uh, yeah. Um, so, I guess full breakdown. And, you know, next time Brent is on, he also saw it. He's also, you know, got opinions on it. And I think our takes are going to be similar. Um, we can discuss it more, I guess. Hi, Brent, if you're listening to this, uh, you, you already know what I think about these. I talked about it on the Discord. But I'm putting it in audio form because... That's just what I've been doing for the last four years. Four and a half years. Um, I guess five and a half if we include uh, Funk Dunk. But, okay. So, episode one. I think was I didn't write down the names of these, so I'm just gonna... Whatever, I wrote down episodes. Episode one is the one that is the black and white one. The animation looks really good in still shot. In motion, I found it a little busy. Like, there's just so much detail in these kind of scratchy ink-style designs that it it was a little hard on the eyes watching it. But it looks nice. Um, It feels a little... Very heavily Japanese in the setting. Like It's like an old, you know, I guess medieval, um, whatever, you know, era... Of Japan, it is. The, it's just you know, like a remote village, um, like a I think a fishing village. They're they're near a river. There's like an action scene on a river, um, but yeah, it's it's a village being threatened by imperial troops and a Sith, and there's a guy there who you're supposed to think is a Jedi who's going to come to the rescue. It turns out he's also a Sith, but he's a Sith who hunts other Sith, I guess. So the tooth Sith fight, and this other Sith has, you know, a lightsaber umbrella that is stupid and silly, but it turns out it's just like an attachment for a regular lightsaber that you can split the blade in an umbrella style, so it's not quite as, you know, ridiculous. Plus, I mean, Rebels already, you know, added the helicopter lightsaber in as canon, so... Yeah, there's there are lots of stupid lightsaber designs. It doesn't break the story to have another stupid lightsaber, but it 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 is still a stupid lightsaber. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean it was a pretty you know good episode. I thought the um, you know the twist reveal, which they actually do a similar twist reveal in another episode, but the twist reveal that the guy who you thought was a Jedi is actually a Sith, surprised me. Uh, Which was nice, Um, and I mean, you know, even like the whole the black and white, like some of the framing of some of the scenes feels like a Kurosawa film, which is significant for Star Wars because the original Star Wars was partly inspired by Kurosawa samurai films. So yeah, it was neat. Um, Second episode, I hated it. It's it's very chibi. It's very cute like the designs are just very cute we get like a cute cuddly big-headed boba fett who's supposed to be an intimidating hunter um and just like it it's a story where there's like this padawan who kind of looks like episode one obi-wan who you know for reasons that are never really explained some gets in some kind of combat or something and I guess he doesn't have a master who knows maybe his master's just used to having kids die on him all the time and didn't actually go looking for him but he ends up being you know like knocked out of a building or something and discovered by this hut who is leader of like a band I don't know if I would call them a rock band it's like a very poppy kind of rock band um the music they sing is absolute gibberish. Like, it, it, it it's kind of what I was saying about, you know, the Japanese translations. Like, it technically makes sense to have someone saying, like, you are okay! But having that as, like, your big line that you scream to the crowd to get the crowd hyped up, it just feels weird. Uh, you know, like, it, it doesn't sound like a native English speaker, which, it you know, isn't, I just, I feel like it should have been better localized. Like just come up with lyrics that actually work, you know, because it felt like they were just, you know, translating what the actual song was, and the actual song feels like that thing that happens in Japanese sometimes, where, um, you know, they'll latch onto some words from English that sound cool in Japanese, but they don't actually think about you know, what they mean, or anything, it's, it's like that South Park, uh, like, let's fighting live, and, you know, it, I mean, th- and that one was a parody, like, this is, you know, actually intended to be the song that gets these guys out of danger, because, and that, that's another thing I didn't like with the episode, I, I don't, I, like, I guess it's a Japanese culture thing, it, you know, I find it upsetting, when characters are told they're going to be, like, executed, and then they, they just resign themselves to it, like, yeah, I guess I deserve that, like, maybe they'll resist a little bit, but they're, like, the idea of being publicly executed is, I guess, just, like, I don't understand why Japan is so okay with it, um, aside from it's just, it's a cultural thing, they, you know, death penalty isn't really a, problem over there, I I don't know, I don't know, it, it feels uncomfortable for me, as a westerner, when, you know, characters, you know, like, like, Rukia and Bleach, you know, and they, they bring her back to the, uh, soul society, and they're like, we're gonna kill you because you broke a rule, and she's like, okay, I guess I have to die now, and, you know, Ichigo's trying to save her, but she's, doesn't really seem upset that they're going to be, you know, killed on some, you know, big elaborate murder machine, you know, it's like, well, uh, society has dictated that I must die, and so I must die, it just, I don't know, it makes me really uncomfortable, and they do that in this Visions episode, they have the Hutt character, is being brought to Tatooine to be executed by Jabba, because he is in a band, and the huts, I guess, don't like that, that they want him to be, you know, either a proper business Hut or dead, so, so they bring him to, for some reason, the Moss Espa Podrace Stadium, uh, they don't go back to Jabba's Palace, they're, they're at the Podrace Stadium, I guess, so there can be a crowd there, and they got their big elaborate murder machine that they're gonna execute him on. But then Jedi Kid and the bandmate show up, and they're like, oh, "Let us perform for you, Jabba, and you know, we'll win over your hearts, so you spare us." And then they, you know, play their silly, stupid rock song that wins over the hearts of the galaxy. So, you know, as much as I am a fan of like Jabba the Hut and the you know aliens and stuff, like the Rodian dancer shows up again, so that was cool. But I just didn't like the episode. Like it, it just it's, it's too cute, um, you know, for what I expect out of a Star Wars thing. Um, third episode, absolute garbage, and it does seem like that's the general consensus. Thankfully, I don't have to listen to people explain to me why the twins is the kind of Star Wars that they should be making in the future. It is just... I don't know, to me, it felt like a fever dream that the creator of Kill la Kill had while watching uh, Rise of Skywalker. And, you know, just seeing them talk about, oh, a forced dyad. Oh, that it makes so much sense now. It's about twins. It's always been about twins. Because the episode focuses on this, you know, two, a male and a female twin who were created through Sith cloning technology like Palpatine, I guess, um, to be the rulers of a new order or whatever. They, they don't really get, th- these are all shorts. They're not going to get too deep into anything. Um, but yeah, it's twins who are in a Gemini class Star Destroyer, which is two regular Star Destroyers that are hooked together at one wing by a Death Star laser because of course there's another Death Star laser. And this Death Star laser is powered by a kyber crystal because kyber crystals are just the go-to MacGuffin for any time you need a crystal that does something magical or powerful. Um, and I guess technically like Rogue One made kyber crystals the source of the regular Death Star's power. So like, it makes sense, but it's still just another stupid MacGuffin that the male twin steals because turns out he's actually a good guy or becoming a good guy. Um, but the female twin is, uh, just crazy evil, so they fight, and then he tries to fly off, and I I don't, I want to say it was an X-Wing, but it, that feels weird, it seems like it should have been a TIE fighter, maybe it was, um, but, yeah, and then she, like, stands outside in space, and yanks the, the, you know, ship back, and he, falls out of the ship but he can breathe in space I guess and she can also breathe in space cuz her mask breaks and and they're like fighting on top of the ship in space and and yeah it was it was just a really weird and dumb and ridiculous episode it, you know it was after that that I'm like oh shit I'm going to hate this show and that's going to put me at odds with everybody all the anime fans who are saying that this is the best thing ever um And then, see, episode four happened. It was bland. It wasn't terrible. It was just bland. You know, it's like this young kind of cute couple who are in, like, a remote village, and they're going to get married, but, oh, no, there's some Imperials who are oppressing the village. And there's this Jedi who's you know, kind of in the area but doesn't want to reveal that they're there so they don't do anything about it until the last minute when they do something about it. And yay, the day is saved, the end. It, It's... It, it's nothing, really. It's just... it, it was there, you know. It's the kind of episode that... Yeah, there's a couple of the episodes that I watched, and I'm like, why, you know, you contracted to make... You know, something for a Star Wars show that will be seen around the world. So why did you make this? You know, like, I, what, what what was the point? I don't know. Um, and then episode 5 is, hands down, the best episode. I mean, I'd say episode 7, The Elder, also comes close. But episode 5, The Ninth Jedi, consensus everywhere does seem to be that it is the best episode, because it is. You know, it's it's it is still a short, but they managed to convey so much through it that it feels like it could be expanded out into a movie and it would actually be a you know good, interesting movie. And they just they do some like clever things that I, you know, it it, it feels like Star Wars. You know, you got this, like, adventure story. Uh, even, like, just the cinematic way that, like, the shots are framed feels like a Star Wars movie. But, but they do these, like, interesting, uh, you know, things with the lore of Star Wars. The idea of, um, you know, like, lightsabers. And, you know, I mean, this this, like, the whole Vision show, they love their lightsabers in this. They, um, you know, have just a lot of, you know, like, sometimes it's, you know, the ridiculous, um, umbrella saber, or even, in episode 3, one of the other stupid things they do is he puts the, the Death Star Kyber crystal into his lightsaber, so it becomes so big that he can cut a whole Star Destroyer in half by flying under it, um, but also that's while still holding this ridiculously long lightsaber. You know, it's not too much for him to hold, but it will slice through an entire, like, aircraft carrier-sized ship. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the lightsaber thing in this episode is that there is a mysterious person who is... Like, implied to be a Jedi, like, presumed to be a Jedi, but they start to wonder if maybe he isn't, because, you know, nobody's really seen him, and when they see the hologram of him, it's got this, like, mask and, you know, red eyes, which seem ominous, Um, but this mysterious person has invited a bunch of Jedi to this, like, asteroid moon base, where he's commissioned a person down on the planet surface to make lightsabers because he wants to revive the Jedi order. And, uh, so these, you know, Jedi people show up to get lightsabers. Um, and, but they're, you know, uncertain about the credibility of this guy who's invited them. They think maybe it's a trap. You know, Star Wars, it's, it's always a trap. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it is spoilers. It is a trap. Um, but, uh, no, the story then focuses on the daughter of the lightsaber maker, who is tasked with bringing the lightsabers to these guys, um, and they explain that these are like a special kind of lightsaber that, you know, are able, they change color to reflect your heart, which is not the way lightsabers have ever worked, but it is a cool idea. And it works really well in the context of the story because they use it to uh, reveal the twist that happens. Um, But when she holds a lightsaber, it's gray because she doesn't really have an alignment, I guess. Uh, Must be having too many dark thoughts to, you know, not be a perfectly good person. But, um, But yeah, so her... Father sends her off with these lightsabers, and as she's leaving, the house gets attacked by these, um, I don't think they're exactly Imperial, but that, you know, that that kind of idea, you know, stormtrooper people, uh, attack, and take him alive, surprisingly, it seems like, you know, he's gonna get Uncle Owen, and and just shot, and left for dead, but nope, they, they take him alive, but she's, you know escaping because you know that's what she's got to do so there's a chase sequence as she's getting away and getting to a ship um you used to find this a like, very tired old uh, robot pilot to fly a ship to go up to the um asteroid base and so she, yeah she gets up there gives everyone the lightsabers and that's when the twist happens you know people pick up their lightsabers and it's revealed their lightsabers are red, because most of them are Sith, who have taken the places of the Jedi who they're posing as, because they came to kill this guy, who, it turns out, actually is a good guy, and really does want to resurrect the Jedi Order, and is also, um, like a, you know, lightsaber master, so he, you know, helps her, and this, you know, this one guy who's a Jedi, and this one guy who is a Jedi, but the presence of so many dark side people turned him dark for a while um you know after they you know, beat everyone else the lightsaber guy just tells him to snap out of it and he does and because of that he has a purple lightsaber which is interesting because you know in like the movies and stuff mace windu is the one who's known for his purple lightsaber and in the books the explanation was always that his lightsaber is purple because he he uses, like, a fighting style that, like, brushes the edge of the dark side with how aggressive it is, so it is fitting that purple would be, you know, the color of a lightsaber of someone who is, like, on the fence, you know, that they're, like, good, but, you know, brushing up against that evil side. Um, And then, unfortunately, the episode kind of cut short after that because they only have so much time. Um, I've heard there's going to be a season two. Hopefully they do a follow-up to it. I think they will because the response has been so positive to that particular episode. Um, episode six, it, it's another cute one. It's, uh, Astro Boy as a droid named Toby, T-O-B-1, um, who, you know, gets a lightsaber and fights a Darth Vader looking guy. It, it's very well animated, but it's just, it, it's very cutesy and feels like they wanted to make a fanfic about Astro Boy as a Jedi. And I, I, I don't really have a lot of feelings about Astro Boy, so I, I don't care. Um, episode 7, uh, The Elder, is, you know, the other, like, I'd say second best, and you know, it's a very close second. Um, it's Studio Trigger. Uh, who also did the Terrible Twins episode, but this one they actually did a good job with. It it does it feels like a Star Wars movie story. Um, plot wise, it's basically like Phantom Menace, except you know without a lot of the silliness of Phantom Menace. That it's this Jedi master and apprentice go to a remote village because you know it's so many of these stories are set around remote villages, but it's a remote village on a planet where there is this mysterious elder who they suspect is a Sith, I think. I I don't know if they suspected that right away. They definitely, like, they saw his ship. It was, like, Sith design. You know, like, old Sith. And they track him down, and yes, he is a Sith. And there's a big fight, and, um... The... I mean, long story short, the you know the, they they get through the fight and then um, the old man dies, but first uh, detonates his ship, so it's destroyed. Uh, he does say at one point that he like he is a Sith, but he broke away from the Sith. So I, I don't know if they ever say how old he's supposed to be. Not that these you know follow any kind of canon, but. It seems like, yeah, he is, like, an older Sith who left because the Sith just have so much infighting among their ranks that it's, like, a waste of time. Um, So he's just been, you know, quietly lording over this village here for however many hundreds of years. But, yeah, he's, he's ancient to the point that when he dies after the fight, his body just immediately crumbles to dust because... It's like Darth Scion in Knights of the Old Republic, too. He's holding himself together through the Force. He's, you know, barely alive, really. Um, but before dying, he blows up his ship, and there's, like, a moment of Jedi Master lamenting that they won't know, you know, how many other Sith might still be out there. It's, you know, like, like Phantom Menace, the idea that it's like, The Jedi didn't realize there were still Sith out there. They find one, they fight them, and then they're left, you know, wondering and worrying about, you know, what else might be waiting for them. Um, let's see, episode 8 was, you know, the the one with the bunny girl. The one that I guess is divisive, you know, depending how distracted you were by the hot furry in the episode. Um, And, you know, it's not, like, the best plotted episode There's you know some leaps from the you know like it starts off with a scene in the past of um bunny girl as a child meeting this human girl and her father you know who are like rich he's like the leader of the he's like the mayor or something i don't know leader of the city that they're um in and yeah they you know agree to adopt her and razor is like part of the family and then cut you know after whatever 10 15 years from then to the present um, the daughter has you know decide yeah you know, i i think i think back then or at least somewhere in between maybe they um agree to let the empire come in and help develop their city and make it more profitable but they're like destroying the environment in the process because of course it's the empire um so the old man or um, i don't know father father character wants you know the empire out like he's becoming like a proto-rebel trying to get the empire to leave well daughter who's looking to inherit the company and continue to keep it profitable um wants her father to shut up and her to, you know, like, she she's, you know, made a heel turn. She wants to join the Empire and wants them to stay around. And the bunny girl daughter is the one who's, you know, still on the side of goodness. Um, and ends up, you know, being given the family lightsaber and the daughter's all mad about that and stuff. You know, it's it's a pretty good story, I think you know, and, like, fits, like, the, the, you know, ethos of Star Wars, um, might also get a follow-up, because it did, you know, end with, you know, pretty incomplete, I thought, um, and then the ninth episode, by the time that, I, I was binging all these all in a row, so I didn't really pay close attention to the ninth, it seemed fine, I guess, I mean, you know, if I said... You know, I said that I like four and a half episodes, and this would be the half, because this one was fine. I guess it didn't really hold my attention as I was, you know, getting just tired of watching... wanting to start watching Columbo instead, because I've been uh, watching a lot of that lately, ever since uh, vacation, when I just... It was, it was there. So I watched it, and... Um, I've just been watching it, you know, here and there ever since. Um, Yeah. Okay, let's see, what else is there? Um, Okay. Well, I guess I'll talk about Dice Funk first, and then there's the uh, Nintendo Direct. So, yeah, so I'll talk about those... And then, assuming Brent's not available by next week, I'll be doing another... You know, I'll, I'll put in some kind of musical bit or something, you know, the pizza song, and then, uh, well, thoughts on Venom 2, and anything else I feel like talking about after this coming week. Um, okay, so, so Dice Funk. Uh, I said... I guess it, it must have been around like the end of Season 7, start of Season 8, that... I felt like I didn't really enjoy Dice Funk anymore, and that was in response to, like, some of the comments happening around the end of Season 7, you know, because, like, Season 7, I'm, I mostly just didn't care what happened in it. I listened to it all. I wasn't paying enough attention to pick up on a bunch of the plot points, but I just didn't really care. Um, and, 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 yeah, like, I don't know, the fandom has changed so much from, you know, back in, like, season two when everybody started coming together to talk about this stuff. It was it was a lot different, I think, um, compared to what it is now. It feels like just, I don't know, people from the podquisition side of this, you know, mutual fandom have, you know, become, like, the the ones who are really into... Dice Funk and, you know, people from the Ward Funk BT side have just fallen off over the years. I feel like I'm one of the last ones and I'm officially fallen off now. Because, um, yeah, okay, so Season 8 started off as a um, season that they build as, like, the, you know, fun, low-stakes Animal Crossing village, small town season and it felt like it for a while you know it was it was pretty fun i like the characters i like you know the setting they had a new flump that was cool um they had you know just even like the main characters are fun and stuff you know like slime is a lot of fun just this character with a very alien outlook on everything you know, like, what it means to be alive, um, because, you know, they're just this, like, slime that, you know, will wrap itself around a, a carcass and puppet it around like a zombie, um, and, yeah, you know, it was just, like, that was fun, you know, Neelith, the, you know, S- Squidling, you know, just cute little octopus chef character, um, and we got got back as Azay. Which is fun, even though I am thoroughly confused whenever he starts talking about astrology stuff, because I don't know anything about that. Um, and yeah, and then like Chris is a crazy German. I think it w- wasn't a goblin in a wheelchair or something. I-, I don't remember the species of the genius of Grendel. Um, yeah, but then, but then Chris had to leave uh, because it was schedule, and then Sophie came in, and she's fine, I I don't know what she's from, you know, other podcast-wise, I just, I have no context for that, and, like, Philippa as a character was, like, fine, like, maybe a little too real at times, but, um, but then, uh, I mean, I guess, full- spoilers, obviously, you know, I've already spoiled some stuff, and we're just gonna, you know, keep spoiling, um, some, I mean, and also, you know, I only, ever since, like, season four, I only listen to episodes once, I don't go back and re-listen the way I used to to some of the earlier seasons, so, you know, my knowledge of the facts may be a little blurry, because I, you know, only listen to them once and don't, Ever since season six, I don't participate in chats anymore about it, so I'm not refreshed on details the same way as I was in some of the other seasons. Um, but uh, but yeah, so the, there was uh, a random role happened that caused uh, uh-huh. Sophie's character, Philippa, to be um, become the mayor of the town... So that character had to basically step aside and become more NPC ish. Um, because she couldn't be traveling around with the, um, rest of the party. Uh, this is Sophie's instead been playing, um, I guess two characters. This, like, cat is, like, a lion ant. Which, or, I don't know, it's like, like, I want to say Ant Lion is actually a species, and they probably explain this in the show, and I just, I don't remember it. Um, but, yeah, uh, no, it, Cat, it, it's like a deep voiced, um, trans inspired character of this, like, lion ant that, you know, has, like a very deep growly voice, but wants to be cute. Um, so it's kind of a cute character. Um, and then there's Noby, who is a sheep, who has this like cute, funny, high-pitched voice, but is an absolute bastard of a character, like the worst kind of hardline right-winger character. Which, up until the most recent episode, as of this recording, um, which obviously there'll be another episode since then, but um, up up to the most recent episode, Noby had been you know, saying heinous stuff, but in this cute voice, so that it it just, it felt like it was just a joke, like this character was just, you know, kind of a, a ridiculous, funny joke, kind of dark humor, um, but then in the most recent episode, Nobi, I don't know, some event or something causes Nobi to become very powerful enough that Nobi murders, uh, Laura's character and also the flump, and also another character in the, I guess, mandatory depressing murder scene that I, I, I thought back about it, and really every fucking season of this show, except arguably season two, um, has had a depressing death scene um, that... I mean, at least Season 3 didn't happen till very close to the end. And, you know, debatable whether... Um, uh, Dora. Uh, Lauren's character Dora. Whether Dora had it coming or not as, you know, a character who'd taken a, a you know, dark turn. You know, embracing the darker sides of her character. Um, whether that, you know... I don't know if I'd necessarily call it murder in that situation, it was, you know, the good guys had to stop her, and they did. Um, it was just unfortunate because I liked the character, but it's understandable, and it happens so near the end of the series, season, that, you know, that one didn't really affect me as negatively as um, some of the others. did, Like, season four, you know, cat dying was like, I guess the first straw? If we're gonna call, you know, this most recent event the last straw for me, Cat was the first straw, um, because I was just really rooting for that character, that it felt like that character was the only one who was really standing up to the suppressive system that they were all supposed to be fighting against, even though they are mostly just, going along with it and acting like they can't do anything about it, even though this is a role-playing game and you have power here that you don't have in the real world, and why the fuck don't you do something with it? Um, You know, consequences aren't the same here, it's a game. Um, But, you know, they, they just, they wanted to play realistic people who are, uh, cowed into inaction by the threat of things going bad for them if they stand up to their oppressors, which is not fun, but, I don't know, people really love that season, so what the fuck do I know? Um, but, yeah, no, I mean, yeah, season four had that depressing death. Uh, season five had the fish doctor, which didn't, weirdly didn't affect me much at all, uh, I guess I just didn't really care that much about that character, so when she died I was, I was more annoyed that she'd been able to fire point blank in the bad guy's face and he survived because of, you know, D&D rules suddenly became applicable again, um, you know, I wish they just rolled with the moment and let her kill him and then see where that goes. Like, that would have been interesting to see because she had, you know, the no-killing rule. If she breaks that and kills him, what's that going to do to her psychologically? But we didn't really get to find out because he lived and killed her and then she died. Um, yeah. um, and Big Star was a more fun character anyway. Um, season 6 uh, yeah, that was, that was the second straw, uh, the king dying, because that, and that, a lot of that was also fueled by, like, the discourse in the community, um, because I was, I would say, understandably upset that the most fun character got, uh, killed by, essentially, a rape baby xenomorph bursting out of him, um, but everyone else was more concerned about, oh, but the baby is so innocent, and not, you know, a mindless monster that's just going to continue raping people to death like the other slod that we've seen, um, but, eh, I don't know, my, my read on that whole slod situation was different from the rest of the community, I guess, and I just, I didn't like it, like, I didn't like it, I didn't like being in the conversation about it, I didn't like that it happened, um, so I, you know, that that's when I took a step back from talking to people about any of these shows, and then season seven, I don't know, I think Chris's character killed herself at one point or something, and that, I mean, I wasn't even fully paying attention, so I didn't pick up on that, and also, um, at that point, Chris's character's dying was becoming like a punchline. It's happened so many times. Um but now this most recent one in season eight, I just decided enough is enough. Like I I'm I'm tired of it. Like I, I don't enjoy listening to this. I don't you know, enjoy that it's just every fucking season has to devolve into drama. Um you know, I the things I listen to outside of Dice Funk aren't really emotional or dramatic, uh, because I, I just I don't really need that. I, I have enough of that just reading the news, so I don't need that from my entertainment. Um, so, yeah. So, so me and Ice Funk are done. Um, my name won't appear as high in the credits. I felt like I was spending too much money every month on a show that I do not like, and... So, I, uh, you know, repurposing those funds, put them into, uh, like, Hello from the Magic Tavern just made a Patreon, so I guess uh, some funds are freed up for that, and, um, uh, HBO Max is half off for a few months, so, you know, I resubscribe to that, um, but anyway, um, more fun topic. As my voice wears out for this recording, uh, you know, we'll be back and fresh when Venom 2 comes out. But, uh, last topic for this part of the episode. Um, Nintendo did a direct... Uh, when was that? Couple days... Thursday? I think Thursday. Today is Saturday, so Thursday. Um, yep. And, surprisingly, they actually announced stuff I wanted. Which... Doesn't happen that as often as you know. I feel like it would. Um, so, yep. Uh, let's see. Well, they talked about Metro Dread. Uh, unsurprising. It's coming up soon. I am excited to get it, but I'd already decided I was going to get it. So the fact that they're talking about it doesn't really, you know, make much difference. Um, on that. But uh, yeah, no. The the big announcement for me was uh, that they're making a new Kirby game. First one since Star Allies came out in, like, 2018. Um, and Star Allies was... It started off as just okay, it felt a little short. Um, over the course of, like, a year, they added content to it. Um, in the form mostly of other playable characters, which was cool. Uh, the the game still does feel kind of short, but... Well, short, but also, like, weirdly padded. Like, I started a new file on it recently, and the levels feel like they take a while to get through, but there's not a lot of actually interesting things going on in them. Like, the game is, I think, made more with the idea of cooperative multiplayer. That, you know, they want, like, you and a friend or family member to play together and go through these fairly easy but still substantially long levels and you know you do your stuff and collect stuff not really interesting stuff nothing that really requires like a you know difficult puzzle to get through it's just you get the thingy you get the puzzle pieces and the stars that just you know are like coins they build up to getting extra life eventually um but yeah, Star Allies was okay. The new Kirby game is the the first time they've actually done like a three D Kirby. It's not a side scroller, um, aside from Air Ride, which was a racing game, really. Um, but now this one is it's Kirby able to run around a full three D plane. So we'll see how that works. I mean, it sounds cool. Um, otherwise, they. You know, everyone was expecting them to reveal the final Smash character, they've pushed it off till October 5th, so that will be even after my uh, you know follow-up recording for this episode, so that won't be talked about on this episode, that'll be next one if everyone's not sick of hearing about it by then. If it's a character that I don't care about, I'm, I might not even bring it up again, because what's the point? Um, and then Animal Crossing. Finally getting an update, it's uh, Brewster's coffee shop is getting added to the museum. They're going to talk more about that next month. Uh, Hopefully the rumor holds true that it's not just, you know, like the coffee shop in the past games was neat, but there wasn't really anything to do there. It's like you just go there and you pay like 10 bells and you get a coffee. And if you drink it too fast, then your character's like, oh, it's so hot. But, you know, Brewster tells you, like, no, you gotta wait for it to cool, um, and see so if you, like, sit there and wait for it to cool and then drink it, then you have, like, a pleasant coffee-drinking experience, um, and that's it. Like, I think one of the games might have had a thing where you could, like, work at the coffee shop, which I, I don't remember exactly what that entailed, I think it was just, like, characters, you know, villagers would come in and say, I want a coffee with bleh and bleh, or they might not even, like, they might have told you one of the things they wanted and not the other one, and you have to, like, learn them over time, and I know there was a thing in, like, the guidebook that would tell you what the traits of the coffee that people liked was, and then you just, you mix up the coffee, and if you mix it up well, then they say, oh, yeah, you've remembered it, my, this is my usual and then you're rewarded with, like, points or something that you can use toward getting special, like, Brewster-themed items. Um, One of which I think was, like, a Brewster Gyroid. So it would be cool if they use this new Roost update to bring Gyroids back, because that's one of the big things that they haven't brought back from the old games yet. The other rumor I've heard is that the... Uh, the Roost could be used to bring back some of the characters that they haven't brought in yet. Like, I assume, like, Dr. Shrunk and Katrina and, um, you know, just, like, some some of the other, like, and maybe even Gracie. You know, like, the, the traveling guest-type characters um, have them show up in the Roost and you can talk to them. And maybe, I don't know, something happens. Like... And I don't know if that would just be like a a chance to see them and talk to them, or if they would actually, uh, you know, be like having a second visitor to your island that day. Maybe you can get some like special event or item out of talking to them. Um, Which I could also see them linking that to the um, amiibo functionality. Uh, because there are cards for a lot of those characters, and right now all those cards do is give you a poster because you can't invite, you know, the special guests to your island. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what else, aside from just Brewster and drinking coffee, is part of this Brewster Coffee House update. Um, and then let's see, they also uh Asper Media is porting Knights of the Old Republic first one to switch so that's cool uh can't wait to play it again um even though i think i've gotten it on you know asper did the mobile port and i've gotten that one like twice and both times i I just don't get that far into it but that's because it's not on an actual gaming platform um i think you know i'll probably actually like sit down and play through it again on uh switch because it's you know actual gaming system um and then, you know, hopefully these car sounds in the background aren't distracting. I've got the window open, but people keep driving by. Um, the other big thing they announced is that N64 is finally coming to Switch. Yay. Except they're, um, adding a new membership tier for you to be able to get it, which... Kind of annoying, because, you know, the NES and Super NES selection just feels so light, but considering how dirt cheap, you know, Nintendo Switch Online is, like, I, I think I, I looked at what my rate is, and it's, like, $20 a year, which is, you know, a couple, like, a, what, a buck 50 a month or less, you know, it, it's, yeah, less than that, yeah, it's not much, um, so, yeah, no, they'll they'll, do a higher rate so you can get in 64 games and that'll be cool cuz those games you know like Ocarina of Time actually you know will take a while to play through and um yeah, I'm hoping cuz they they confirmed Banjo-Kazooie will be coming back and right now Microsoft owns that one it's part of their rare replay um, collection since they you know own rare and the games that made without Nintendo properties involved. Um, I'm hoping because that one's in there that they also bring back Perfect Dark, because um, that like I I played it a lot on N64 and then played it a lot on Xbox 360. Um, but my Xbox 360 is unplugged. And it'd be, it would just it'd be cool to play Perfect Dark again on handheld. Um, I don't know that they could get Golden Eye back though, because the, all the movie rights with MGM are. You just it up so much that it, it would be hard to, uh, you know, get permission to do that one, I guess, um, but yeah, no, yeah, there's definitely there's some cool games, like, they showed Kirby 64, F-Zero X, Star Fox 64, and since, you know, F-Zero and Star Fox aren't really getting new games lately, you know, it'd be nice to play the old ones, it'd be, it would be really nice, if they would do the GameCube ones, because Star Fox Adventures and Assault and F-Zero GX, they just graphically, they look so much better. They have, like, more focus on the characters, and, um, you know, it, it would be nice to be able to play those without having to figure out which cords I need to plug in to get my GameCube running again. Um, I'm pretty sure I have all the cords right here. I'm just too lazy to do it, but it would be nice. If, you know, they would put those GameCube games... Like GameCube games that aren't just Mario-related or Zelda-related on uh, modern consoles again. Um, but yeah, I think... I guess... I don't know, maybe I'll follow up in the other half of this episode on... Uh, I also... So, I think I'd mentioned in an episode... Brent was talking about Dragon Ball Z Kakarot, which just came out on Switch... I bought it, but also... Uh, I'm, I'm gonna wait for this car to shut up. And then... Uh, maybe I'll just close the window. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. I, I bought it. I haven't started playing it yet, though. Because right before buying it, I was looking around on the deals they had on Switch. And Dragon Ball Z Xenoverse 2 was on sale... From its usual fifty dollar price, for like eight bucks, so decided yes, to give it a shot, and I've I've started playing that, and it's pretty fun. Um, I'm playing as Jade again, but as Amashian, because that's the closest I can get to Jade's outfit in the character, um, is as a rubbery genie person. So Amashian so Jade is flying around and shooting energy blasts and, um, yeah, I don't know, it's pretty fun. Uh, it seems like there's a lot of menus and currencies and tutorials and stuff, but otherwise, you know, once, once the game stops trying to get me to understand those, the core gameplay is pretty decent. Um, so yeah, I, I might follow up talking about that in the back half of this episode, or maybe not—I don't know—we'll see. So, um, until next half, um, uh, I'm I'm just gonna roll away like a turd in the wind and uh, pick up with uh, Venom Two. <laughs> All right, I'll give it a minute. Cool, looks good. Okay, hey guys, uh, it, it's me, it's Jade. I'm back. So I just got out of the theater of seeing Venom Two. Um, I don't remember what else I promised a few days ago that I would talk about. We'll see if I may even get this episode up early if I, you know, edit it I and mean, whatever. All the audio is gonna be here. Um, yeah, but no, I, I just got out of the theater. It's it's good. Um, I mean, it, I don't know, I, I, you know, it's, it's fine, it's, it's a fun movie, um, Venom says fuck, spoilers, Venom says fuck, it's possibly the fun, it made me laugh the most of any moment in the movie, although there are, you know, it's just, the movie, it's 90 minutes, and it's just, like, non-stop screwball comedy and action scenes, through the whole thing. Um so on the one hand, I mean, if you don't see it, you're not missing anything. Uh it's not a must see by any stretch, but if you do, you know, are able to see it and want to see it, it you won't regret seeing it. You know, it's it's just it's a fun, dumb movie. Uh it's like you know, I guess after the first one, like they realise like people like the fun dumbness of Venom One. So they just distilled that down into the funnest, dumbest thing they could make. Um, so, yeah, no, yeah, it's it's pretty great in that sense. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's weird coming straight out of the theater. Like, do I want to get into spoilers? I don't know. Um, yeah, there, there's some stuff. I'm There's, like, one character I'm going to have to look up because they imply toward the end of the movie that he's gonna become someone that we know i guess but then there's another there's a scene there's one scene in the credits in the middle of the credits there's no scene after the credits there's one scene in the middle of the credits that you're gonna want to stick around for because it has some implications which actually kind of contradicts this other character so i don't know i i don't know um man yeah hard to talk about that without spoilers though um Maybe I'll, you know, I don't want to dive immediately into spoilers, you know, we can have like a cutoff section where I say spoilers here. Not that that's ever stopped me before on this show, you know, our audience is so small. Hi Eugene, Um, if if you don't want to hear full spoilers for it, I guess I'll give you a cutoff point. Um, You know, I'm, I, I personally don't find timestamps that useful because when I'm listening to podcasts, it's just, you hit play and you just let it play. And I'm not, you know, following any numbers. So, I'll just, you know, I'll give ample spoiler warning before I get into the real spoilers. Um, So, I guess before that, uh, let's see. Other things to say. Well, I kinda went off about uh, how much I hate theaters in the media box today. Um, Which, uh, yeah, is, you know, actually getting reactions, so that's cool, I guess. Uh, Yeah, no, the theater... Like, I am just, you know, all through the pandemic, I've, my job never shut down. I've still been working with the public the whole time. I hate it, but that's been my reality. So, at the same time, for whatever reason, I just found myself feeling really uncomfortable, like, sitting there alone, but also having, you know, like, the entire row in front of me was full of, like, they were, like, two groups, and they were, you know, chatting amongst themselves, there was another group to my right, there was another group behind me, there was another group two rows behind me, There were, you know, the theater was, I'd say, maybe a third full, um, so it's not, you know, up to the level that it was pre-pandemic, like, I remember seeing Captain Marvel, and that one was full, but that one was also, like, a special event, and, you know, Rise of Skywalker, I think, was full, just be- I mean, it's, it's a Star Wars movie, of course, it's gonna be full. Um, and this was the first showing, you know, it's like a, it was a four o'clock afternoon showing, although for whatever reason, for it, it, the movie was supposed to start at four, which usually means the trailers start at four, and the advertisements start, like, you know, it, I guess it'd be 3.30, 3.45, it's usually like 30, 45 minutes of advertising that they just used to fill the time until the actual listed start time of the movie, but you know the theater wasn't paying attention or whatever so they started the advertisements maybe 5 minutes before 4 and the trailers didn't start until i i checked my my phone it was like 4:13 when the trailers started um so yeah it started a little late but at least it is a 90 minute movie it's it's very short um and very quick you know the the you know the way Andy Circus the director put it they cut out all the fat and they really did you know it's a very lean movie but not to its detriment I mean I know like the Daredevil the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie um, there's a director's cut that's thirty minutes longer and it actually like helps the movie a lot because it just gives it more time to breathe like they trimmed so much of the fat on that one that the theatrical cut just felt like the the characters were you know, I know the characterization wasn't as strong as it was in the director's cut, um, but now th- this movie, you know, it is fun, dumb trash, and it knows it's fun, dumb trash, and trimming it down to be the funnest, dumbest trash that it can be, is was a good thing, um, but I will say trailers, um, they showed a trailer for the Morbius movie, I don't know if it's the same one that they showed before. It seemed like it had more stuff in it because they had more visual effects to work with. Uh, But it did still end with the same shot of him like walking down uh, an alleyway with a poster of Tobey Maguire Spider-Man that says Murderer written on it. And then uh, Adrian Toomes' vulture does like a dumb one-liner at the end of the trailer that, you know... You know, like, we, we've, we you know, we're still, until that movie comes out, we won't know what that means about whether Morbius is in the MCU, or if it's its own thing, or, you know, with, with the multiverse rapidly becoming a thing in Marvel, who knows what is anything anymore, um, but, but yeah, no, Mor- and Morbius, having, you know, seen that trailer on the big screen, and having developed a, you know, increasing distaste for being in theaters, if I can avoid it at all, because I just, I just don't like, you know, having that many people around when I'm watching things. I've gotten, you know, spoiled by having new movies available at home, and I would rather just do that. I, you know, hate the monopoly that theaters have on new movie content, but I guess, I guess it, you know, the, the, Because it's less easily pirated, I guess that's how, um, you know, the movie-making companies make more money out of it being in theaters than they do selling it directly to you. You'd think selling it directly to you and cutting out the middleman would get them more money, but I guess, you know, piracy is such a problem that it it really is cutting into their bottom line. And if they want to keep making these, you know, huge budget movies, they have to release them through this model that requires you to go sit in a shitty building with a bunch of other noisy assholes and watch the movie that way, uh, fuck off. Steven Spielberg, Christopher Nolan, I bet your theater didn't start 15 minutes late and have a bunch of chatty assholes sitting in front of you. At least they didn't talk during the movie this time like they did during Shang-Chi. But chi um, Well, I, actually they might have a couple times, but it, it's such a trashy movie, it didn't really bother me this time. Um, but yeah, no, Morbius, having seen the trailer on the big screen, I honestly, you know, back before the pandemic, when they announced and maybe showed off some footage of Morbius, I don't know, I don't think there was a trailer yet then, but back then, I remember I said that I was going to see it for this show, because Brent and I talk Spider-Man stuff, and that's, you know, part of our shtick, but now, I, I just, I don't know if I care enough. Um, like, even... Like, Eternals coming up. I, I'm i probably going to see it because it's a Marvel thing. But I don't know if I'm going to see it opening night because I just don't care about that one either. And, like, the new James Bond movie is coming out in, like, a week, I think. And I liked Spectre a lot. I'm one of the few people who liked Spectre a lot. But, you know, it's it's been... Like, five years since Spectre came out. No, six years. Spectre was late 2015, so yeah, it's been almost, you know, come November, it'll be like six years since Spectre came out, and as much as I wanted a follow-up to Spectre at the time, you know, a lot has changed in the last six years, and I don't really care, and for a movie that's you know, going to be two and a half hours long, it's getting good reviews, but man, I just, I don't want to sit in the theater for two and a half hours watching Bond, you know, I mean... Uh, the best Bond movie is still just a good action movie. You know, I don't have that level of attachment to Bond that I must see him in theaters. I, you know, I like the movies as good action movies, but, you know, it, there there isn't that strong emotional need to see it immediately, I don't think. Um, I don't remember if they showed any other trailers aside from Morbius. I, I think there was at least one, but I don't remember what it was. I mean, I don't am I'm I'm, Now I'm thinking of it. I'm kind of surprised they didn't show a Spider-Man No Way Home trailer because there is the one that is out. Uh, but whatever. Um, okay, so let's see. Is there anything else to say before I get into full spoilers? Uh, I think last last recording a few days ago, first half of this episode. Um, I'd also mentioned and started Dragon Ball Xenoverse, I've gotten, uh, quite a bit farther in that, you know, storyline-wise, I'm somewhere in the Boo saga, but I've found that the flow of the game seems more like, like, there are story missions that are set at points in the Dragon Ball Z story, but most of the game is actually spent running around the open world area, talking to characters, and, um getting them to train you by teaching you their special moves and you've got like a meter that builds up you know i've already hit kai and i'm approaching god i don't know if there is a level after god that i can reach but you know i'll find out when i hit it i guess um it's pretty fun though a couple of the fights feel cheap like it feels like you know you're just getting like beaten down or like enemies are throwing attacks at you that you cannot dodge um that do massive damage. It's mostly Frieza and Cooler that are doing that. Or Cooler. And, you know, it's weird that it's like. Their names are Freezer and Cooler. You know, they're the refrigerator guys. But, um, one is Frieza and the other one is Cooler. You know, why, why isn't this consistent? Um. But, yeah. Um. And, yeah, so. So, I've, you know, I've played a bunch of that. Um have not started Kakarot yet, I want to, because, you know, I've got it here, physical copy in a box, you know, I'd like to open it up and try it out, but I really want to finish Xeno first, first, and then I ended up buying Fighter Z because it was on sale again, and it had, um, I don't think it's all the DLC, but it, it had one pack of the DLC, no, 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 it's definitely not all the DLC, it's one pack of the DLC, which included Android Twenty One, who is a character Brent introduced me to when you found. Oh yeah, she's, she's. Uh, I guess both of our types. Apparently, she's a redheaded librarian who is also like a sexy genie girl. Like she, she has multiple forms. So, yeah. So she's included in the DLC. I got that uh, today. I have not really played much of it yet, but it. You know, it's a fighting game. It. I know it won't, pro- you know, I if it's like every other fighting game, I will breeze through the story, and then um, maybe play some arcade mode now and then, but mostly not play it after that. Um, but it was, you know, on a deep sale, it was like 15 bucks for the full game, plus that DLC pack, so yeah, it seems worth it. Um, and then thinking of fighting games, is also that uh, Nickelodeon All-Star Brawl coming out next week I think. Um and I'll probably be getting that too just cuz like Smash Brothers style fighting games are fun, you know, more arcadey, less combo heavy than, you know, like your Street Fighter or Mortal Kombat or I I think Fighter Z is that kind of um you know, the the combo heavy, more competitive style fighting game um, but I think that's it, so, okay, um, yeah, so this, the second half probably won't be in a second hour, I don't think we're gonna get up to, you know, a two-hour runtime for this episode, um, but, okay, full spoilers for any spoilerific things from Venom 2 that come to mind, I, guess I don't know, should I do a plot summary? Brent, should I do a plot summary? Oh, I don't know about that, Jade. Um, that's my terrible Brent impression. Uh and yeah, I, yeah sure, whatever. Um, okay. Basic plot is that it is, you know, obviously it's a sequel to Venom one. Uh, everybody believes Venom died at the end of the first one, except Eddie, who knows that he's not and. Uh, the lady who runs the convenience store who knows he's, he's not dead cause, um, you know, he's been protecting that, I guess just that one store, it seems like. Um, but, otherwise, I, like, there's a scene where he's talking to Anne, his, like, ex from the first movie, who, um, asks him about Venom and he, you know, pretends the Venom's dead, but she figures out pretty quick, no, he's, he's... He's acting all weird and unresponsive because Venom is still talking in his head. Um, Which, I mean, that part gets a little confusing sometimes that Venom and Eddie will talk... They talk to each other frequently. Sometimes Venom is hard to understand because he's doing the growly... You know, his deep, growly, you know, booming voice. Um, But the only one of them that is heard by the people around them, is whoever's face is showing. So if it's Eddie, and you hear Venom voice, nobody else is hearing Venom voice, it's just in his head. And if Venom's face is out there, you know, you hear Eddie talking to him, but nobody else is hearing that, they're only hearing Venom. Um, But, but yeah, no, so, you know, the whole Venom being dead thing is mostly just for the public, that, you know, like, Eddie is worried, that, you know, he's trying to keep a low profile as much as he can because he's worried that people are going to find out he's the one who went on the alien rampage and blew up that space shuttle from the first movie. So, oh. yes, yeah, so, so Venom is mad because Eddie won't let him eat people's brains because, you know, it, that's a thing that was in like the 90s comics that they've adapted that Venom, that this is like a, a chemical that's only in brains and chocolate that Venom needs for nourishment. So Venom wants to eat people's brains, um, but Eddie has made him settle for eating the brains of chickens from like a chicken farm, except for these two chickens that they have in their apartment, uh, named Sunny and Cher, who are their like pet chickens. And, um, and, you know, Ven- Venom eats so much chocolate that the convenience store is out of chocolate. Um, But he really wants to eat some regular brains, and Eddie won't let him. Uh, And then, yeah, and then you know we we got all the stuff with Cletus. You know, he he's got his own backstory that he um, is a. We don't see him as a child. We see like you know scribbly drawings he's done of his childhood. When we get that part of the backstory, I think, yeah, I don't think we should see him as a. Because the the thing with him is that he, as a child, murdered his grandmother and mother, who he says were abusive, but doesn't really go into any details about that. Um, And his also abusive father, although, I mean, you can kind of understand why the guy would be mad when his wife and mother slash maybe mother-in-law, I don't know, uh, when they both got killed by this horrible kid, um, he sent him off to an orphanage. Where he was bullied and picked on stuff, uh, but then rescued by Francis, who is the name of uh, Shriek, who is a character who Carnage teamed up with in some of the comics, and her superpower is she can scream really loud, like Black Bolt, except unlike Black Bolt, it's not all the time she can turn it on and off, Um, and she uses that power to save him from bullies and So the two of them are, like, best friends and want to get married someday. Um, But, you know, they're they're kept in, like, separate holding cells. I don't think that was at the orphanage, though. I think they ended up in prison. I don't know. I don't know. There's some details missing from that part, I think. But I think, yeah, at the start of the movie, what we see is that they're both in prison, you know, neighboring prison cells. And they're in love, and then the cops come to take Francis away to another, uh, like, a, a super prison, which is Ravencroft, the, you know, Spider-Man supervillain prison. And, um, as they're, you know, taking her away in their police van, she uses her superpowers on this one cop who pulls a gun and shoots her in the face, which she assumes kills her. Uh, but it didn't. You know, she survives. she's just got a weird-looking eye now. Which, you know, has no effect on her powers. It's just, a, you know, an affect that her her eye looks weird. Uh, but she still gets, you know, successfully transferred to Ravencroft. They got her in a soundproof cell, so she can't use her powers on anyone. And um, they, you know, keep giving her newspapers that tell her what's going on with Cletus. Because Eddie Brock is reporting on Cletus, who's sharing his, you know, stories... With Eddie, but he doesn't share with him the location of where he hid all the bodies, which is the thing, basically the reason they haven't sentenced him to death yet, is they want him to say where he hid all the bodies. But then Venom, as Eddie is doing the interview, Venom happens to spy that Cletus has drawn the location of the bodies and, like, every other relevant detail about his life on the walls of his cell. And Venom has like, uh, you know, super good memory, so he just, you know, immediately memorizes all of it, and when they get back to the apartment, he has Venom, you know, Ven- Venom takes control of Eddie's hands, and takes a couple markers, and just doodles the whole thing out, and it's, you know, funny, because Eddie is so slow on the uptake of why these drawings are relevant, and Venom has to explain it to him, but they figure out the one, you know, the picture where all the bodies are buried, what that where that is in the world and um so you know the police find the bodies venom or eddie becomes successful but he's still it it pretty much translates to he gets a good tv you know his apartment is still a dump but he has a nice tv so i guess that's like a realistic take on you know how much fame and fortune would actually affect uh his life he's still you know not not, like, overnight, you know, movie wealthy, the way usually goes. Um, but then, yeah, so Cletus is sentenced to death, because, you know, the mystery's all solved, and he asks Eddie to come talk to him, and, because he wants, he's, he's he wants to send, like, a, I think, like, a coded message out to Shriek, um, but ends up pissing off Eddie and Venom in a way that makes Venom lash out so that he comes within, uh, like, arm's reach of the holding cell where Cletus is, and so Cletus bites uh, Eddie's hand, and that's how he gets the bit of symbiote that becomes carnage. So when they take uh, Cletus off to the, you know, the uh, lethal injection chamber, he, you know, transforms into carnage and blows up the cell and kills everyone and escapes and at the same time as that's going on um eddie is mad about venom lashing out at Cletus and you know potentially exposing their secret um and that leads to a you know the, the two of them fight and they like trash the apartment and venom goes to like messy breakup kind of Attitude on it. He's like throwing all of Eddie's stuff out the window, including his, you know, beloved TV. And then, um, Eddie sets off a fire alarm and the sonic waves, you know, make Venom detach. And he goes and attaches to another person and spends a lot of the movie like hopping around other bodies and just moping about how, you know, he's he's mad at Eddie because of the fight because they're basically like a couple. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so, while that's happening, you know, Eddie finds out that uh, Cletus Carnage is on the loose. And, you know, it's like, oh, he's probably going to come for you because you're one of the people who uh, nearly got him killed there. Um, so, he's, you know, involved with the FBI, including the like the the head police guy that we see. It turns out he's the one who shot and thought he killed shriek early on uh he is also the one i was talking about earlier potentially being relevant because toward the end of the movie um shriek seemingly kills them. i mean i don't know how he survived that but then afterward we see his eyes are like blue with like the whites are black and he's just rambling about monsters being real and so i'm gonna have to look up that guy's name and see who he is, and whether he's any, you know, alter ego in the comics, maybe. Um, but, spoilers for the end of the movie, I don't know if that's even going to be relevant. So, yeah, so um, so Venom, or Eddie, Eddie is, you know, investigating, trying to figure out, you know, he, he tracks down the orphanage, and finds out that, you know, this Francis person is the one that Cletus is trying to, get back to, now that he's carnage, um, and Anne, his ex, gets involved again, because, um, Eddie ends up in police custody, so Anne has to go track down Venom, who's, um, you know, he's stumbled around a bunch of bodies and ended up taking over the body of the, uh, lady who runs the convenience store, and there's kind of a funny scene there where she has to persuade Venom to, you know, jump on her again so they can go back and save Eddie, uh, and then, you know, do that, like, rom-com scene of, like, forced apology where Eddie has to apologize to the symbiote, so it'll join back with him, um, and then, yeah, and so Carnage, Carnage and Cletus and, uh, Shriek, Cletus and Shriek want to get uh, married. Um, the Carnage symbiote is mostly in agreement with Cletus about things that they do, but he hates Shriek because her power is sonic waves, which, um, you know, hurts symbiotes. So he's, you know, like against... It It, it becomes like a sticking point in their relationship. Um, but, but yeah, the three of them, they want to, as part of, you know, the marriage ceremony with Cletus and Shriek, to, um, kill the people they hate the most, you know, for her, it's that cop, for, um, Cletus, it's Eddie, I think, and, uh, for, um, uh, Carnage, it's Venom, so I guess that worked out for them, that the two people they hate happen to be the same person, uh, sort of, but... Yeah, there's a big, big, big fight in a church, um, they end up, because they can't find Eddie, they end up capturing Anne, so she's there and in danger and stuff, um, big fight, uh, lots of special effects, lots of fun stuff with tentacles in this movie, there's just tentacles doing, you know, like, grabbing and stuff, um, but, yeah, um, yeah, by the end of the fight, let's see, Shriek, so Shriek uses her powers, and Carnage gets mad about that, and uh, she ends up falling to her death, presumably, I mean, a bell falls on her, but a bell does have a big opening in it, so who knows, maybe, you know, she could have survived if they needed her to survive, I think, and I again, I don't know if that's going to be relevant, um, and then Cop Guy seemingly dies, but doesn't and apparently has superpowers now, I don't know, um, Anne survives, um, Dan, the, um, I think his name was Dan, the, uh, medical guy who she's engaged to now, um, he, he has, you know, a moment in the fight where he gets to, you know, pour fire on Carnage, even though Venom, Venom is mad at Dan, because Venom feels possessive of Anne, even though Eddie, I mean, Eddie understands enough about relationships to, you know, it's like he he doesn't like that Anne doesn't want to be with him because he's an unstable mess. Um, but he's accepted that and Venom is like a petulant teenager, so he he's just slapping Dan around because he's mad that this other man is going to be marrying the woman that he kind of likes. Um, but... Uh, but, yeah, um, let's see, yeah, Carnage, so, uh, Carnage, you know, as part of the fight, both of their symbiotes get knocked off, because, you know, it's a, it's a church, there's a big bell, and the bell rings, and their symbiotes get knocked off, and they fall, and things are exploding and stuff, um, the Venom symbiote gets back onto Eddie, the Carnage symbiote is, like, limping its way toward Cletus, but Venom, you know, picks it up and gobbles it and absorbs it back into himself. And then, um, you know, they have the final moment talking to Cletus. And then Venom says, fuck this guy, and he just bites his head off. And, you know, that's that's the one fuck they're allowed in a PG-13 movie and they used it well. It was a very funny moment. I'm sorry that I spoiled it for anyone who stuck around this long in the episode but hasn't seen the movie Hopefully, you still find the scene as funny as I did. Um, and then, um, shit, what happened after that? Uh, I mean, yeah, you know, there's some resolution stuff, I guess. Um, but, okay, so then, the the big scene, the one that the internet's all up about, is the credit scene. In the mid-credits, Eddie and Venom are hanging... Well, well, at one point, Venom talked about how much he wanted to spend time on the beach, so they went to the beach at the end of the movie. During the credits, they're in, like, a hotel beach house, uh, just like, laying on the bed watching a telenovela, and um, Venom says that he, you know, as part of this, like, symbiote alien hive mind has like in light years worth of knowledge and it would blow eddie's mind if he you know found out you know any like just a smidgen of it and eddie's like you know bring it on so venom's about to show him some like extraterrestrial knowledge when big weird glowy light thing happens and the scene you know the, the room that they're in changes so like it was like evening when they were talking you know like late afternoon evening and now it's like daylight and the towels on the bed have been folded into fun animal shapes and it's like the same room but not the same room and um it it seems like he like venom and eddie and apparently only them i don't know if any of the other side characters were affected by this it might just be those two have been transplanted into the MCU because the television is showing the broadcast from the end of, uh, far from home of J Jonah Jameson on TV, exposing the secret identity of Tom Holland, Peter Parker, Spider-Man on TV. And Venom sees this and licks the TV like, Oh, this guy, this guy looks fun. Um, you know, I guess that's their connection, is the Venom just thinks Tom Holland is hot. Uh, and then some guy walks into the hallway and says, Hey man, what are you doing in my room? Because this is another universe where the room was rented by a different guy, I guess. So, I guess the implication is that, you know, Tom, Hardee's, Eddie Brock, and Venom have joined the MCU and just that one character has been sucked from his reality into the MCU by some multiversal nonsense um and so because of that I don't know if it's at all relevant that they were setting up that cop guy for something because he's probably not gonna be followed up on I don't think he got transplanted to this new universe um I mean, I guess, you know, they're trying to get Venom to be in a Tom Holland Spider-Man movie, maybe the fourth one, I don't know. And so I don't know if that means that Michael Morbius in his movie will be transported to the MCU, and that's how he's going to run into Adrian Toomes. But in that movie, Adrian Toomes is, like, working for a hospital or something. So, you know, he doesn't seem like he's still in prison, so, I, I don't know what that means for that, I don't know what it means for Venom 3, or, I don't know, it's it's a scene with big implications, but until they actually explain what their future plan is, and what they're gonna do with that, I, I don't know, it was, it was fine, I guess, it, well, we'll see where it leads, um, so yeah, um, So that's Venom 2. Uh see it if you feel like it. If not, you know, it it's a fun movie, but it it's not a necessary movie by any stretch. And yeah, I don't know that I have anything else to say, so hopefully next time Brent is back, I guess I guess we'll see. Uh till next time. That's the worst way to end the podcast. <laughs>